the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNOW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host today, Chad Burton, certified financial planner, and uh, get you a little caught up on what's going on in the markets here right now. So today, Friday the 20th, we've got market opening up slightly positive, a little reprieve here, but I want to start before I get into different indexes, what different parts of the market have done. Let's start with some good news for retirees because, you know, it's always nice to start on a good front, but based on some of the most recent data that I've seen and then some of the estimates that are going on out there, the COLA, that stands for Cost of Living Adjustment, for Social Security could be anywhere from 55 to 8.6% or so. So those of you that are out there listening, and, and Social Security is a big part of your retirement income, and you're feeling the, the effects of inflation at the pump, at the grocery store, and it's going to help a little bit. So that, that is some decent news. Now let's start with different sectors. And I like to look at different ETFs that represent different sectors out there to see where, uh, you know, what, what is our money done in a portfolio? When you create a diversified portfolio, you have stocks, bonds, and cash and commodities and real estate. And then if you dig deeper into stocks, it's large cap, small cap, mid cap, international and emerging markets. And then even deeper, you have value versus growth. And let's just put it out there. Again, this is the toughest year on a balanced portfolio since 2008. And what I mean by balanced is typically you have a stock and bond mix of around 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Now let's look at bonds because this has been the toughest two-year period. Uh, Definitely in the 28 years that I've been doing this, almost 29. If you look at AGG, which is an ETF that represents the U.S. aggregate bond market, that's the, the, the Barclays U.S. aggregate bond index, essentially, it's down 9.29% for the year. All of a sudden, we have international stocks outperforming U.S. stocks. The EFE, EFE, which is the MSCI International Developed Stock Index, is down 14.45% at the open today. Emerging markets, EEM, down 16.13%, while the S&P 500 is off 17.75% the year as of the market open this morning. Now, if we look at the Russell 2000, IWM is an ETF that 
tracks the Russell 2000, same holdings, down 20.49%. So that's small and mid-cap companies. And then if we look at that, you know, somewhat decent barometer for a balanced portfolio that you could be looking at is the Vanguard Balanced Index. That's typically a mutual fund that inside the mutual fund holds stocks and bonds typically of around a 60-40 mix. That fund this year is down 15.18% because it's got a little bit of everything. It's got a little bit of, uh, you know, large cap, small cap, mid cap, and bonds. And so that is one of the toughest years on a balanced portfolio since 2008. And the reason why I say that in 2008, you had your core bonds, your treasuries and things like that, even though there was a short dip late in the year in 08, it was a quick recovery. So you still had positive returns from your core bonds, your more conservative bonds, while stocks had a decline twice as much as what we're seeing today, even more than that. So it's been a tough year for balanced portfolios. And this is why you've heard me say, if, if you've been listening to Rob and I for a long, long time, we've been doing radio together since 1999. And um, that's why there's, there's periods of time where stocks and bonds can move down together. And that's why I've always said, when you create your retirement income plan, and this is very important to know what that is 10 years prior to retirement and then be structured the right way five years from retirement, you need to know what your total expenses are going to be minus your income like Social Security, a pension income, any guaranteed sources of income or dependable sources of income, in some cases, rentals, a little bit of dividends and interest from your taxable accounts. You need to know how much you're going to draw in terms of principal from your portfolio on top of that income. Your portfolio draws. And you need to have three years worth of that safe. I'll talk a little bit about that in the, the second segment as to why. But what are we expecting here? This is interesting because you know, there, there's a lot of people that are very concerned about going into a late 70s, early 80s type of an inflationary environment where the Federal Reserve has to really jack up interest rates like Volcker did back in the day. Um, and by the way, there's a really funny meme out there that one of my uh, certified financial planners, or one of our planners, Dan Fetterman, uh, sent to me the other day. And um, it was essentially an, a, a chart of interest rates with the height of different uh, Fed funds, Fed Reserve chairman, I, I guess Volcker was like 6'5 or something like that. And then as, as we had new Federal Reserve chairmen, they become shorter and shorter until you get to Bernanke, which was around 5'8. <laughs> so now we're going to expect taller and taller Fed Federal Reserve chairmen as rates go up, I guess. But anyways, it's really digressed there. But what are we expecting here? Because to me, there's a lot of inflation that's out there. The Federal Reserve and our government caused it because the PPP loans that were put out there into the economy, most, most of them weren't used. So remember, if you were a business owner and you were going to be going through this COVID shutdown, most business owners thought their revenue was going to drop anywhere from you know 40 to 60 to 80%. And so the government created these PPP loans that said, if you take this loan and you keep people on payroll and you don't lay them off as we go through the shutdown, then this loan will be tax-free and interest-free and it will be forgiven. 
And all that happened. Just about every business owner I know did it. And just about any, every business owner that did it didn't end up needing it unless they owned a restaurant or a hotel or something that was tied to travel. And so it, cre- it created a ton of cash in the economy. And so all of a sudden people were at home, they're using, you know, the, the, the 2021 rolls along <laughs> and business is going great. And business owners have all this cash. They're either buying capital goods to improve their businesses, buying other businesses, or frankly, just taking the money home, buying toys, boats, RVs, ATVs, all that kind of stuff. So it created a ton of money out there in the economy chasing goods. So rather than being a more service-based economy, all of a sudden we went back to these good-based economy during the issue of supply chain disruption because of COVID. It's been ongoing. And eventually those dollars are going to fade out as I think that's, I mean, I think that I just don't hear people talking about that and I don't know why. Um, but essentially we're all paying back those loans now with inflation. All of us are. And uh, that's, that's an issue. So typically the federal reserve in fear of too much inflation will start increasing interest rates to make the cost of borrowing more expensive so people stop borrowing money and buying houses and goods and cars and, and inflation eventually slows down because stuff becomes more expensive on credit. And so people just don't do it as much. And you're already starting to see a lot of this, what's called demand destruction. It's already occurring. And so peak inflation is likely near. Getting back to the topic of the economy and interest rates and recessions and things like that. There's a company that we use, we put a lot of weight in, in terms of just global macroeconomic asset allocation decisions called Strategis. And every Sunday, one of our analysts, Kevin, he sends it out there, this huge, I don't know how they write this much on a weekly basis, but a large 40 plus page summary that talks about different metrics of the economy and it started off this last Monday. Is there any pathway remaining to a U.S. soft landing? We believe the answer is yes, but we're increasingly nervous. We're using a 40% chance of a U.S. recession, a 50% chance of a softish landing, and a 10% upside surprise. So what does a softish landing mean? You keep hearing that term out there. It means that essentially the Federal Reserves will slowly raise rates just enough, just at the right amount, not to spook the overall bond market and, and investors in, in the overall economy. However, that's not what we're seeing in the market. There's been some capitulation this week where you've seen some big selling days, one little up day, and then some more selling on, across all asset classes. Um, and for me, typically what this sets up is, hey, if you're you know, years out from retirement, these are typically the best buying opportunities of the most near-term five to seven-year periods. And so as you're investing in this stuff, these are the periods of time where when things get really scary and nervous, that's when you try to increase your contributions to your 401k. Make sure you are maxing out your Roth IRA and investing as you go through these periods because you're getting better share prices. You're getting much better share prices. Now, especially in certain areas of growth that got expensive are starting to get cheap again. So if we look at the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest companies in America, 
as I've talked in many, many shows uh, in the past, it's become a very market. It's the S&P 500 is not really truly an ex- a direct exposure to 500 largest companies in America. It's market cap weighted. So when you look at the holdings, you're 6% into companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft, and, and companies like that. It's become a little bit more tech heavy recently, but you can then break down the large cap world stocks, the largest companies in America between what's considered growth companies. And that's really typically a measurement, uh, uh, you know, who's growing revenue the fastest, right? Not necessarily looking at price to earnings ratio, but who's growing revenue the fastest trajectory in terms of sales and revenue is much higher. Or you look at value companies like value companies were oil and energy stocks last year because oil prices have got beaten down so low. If you look at that area of the market, you could look at Vanguard's value ETF, VTV, which hold, held a lot more like energy stocks and more value-oriented stuff that was cheap. Not growing revenue quite as fast, but PE ratios down in the you know 10 to 12 range versus the, the NASDAQ up in close to 30. That area of the market's only down 6.5% this year. And so as we've talked about this the last couple of years, people were getting overweight and large cap growth. And, and this is a reason why, because if you look at the Vanguard growth ETF, VUG, that's down 11% more than the S&P 500, down 28.5%. And typically when you go through deep recessions like 08, 09, and for that momentary basis, we had a deep recession in uh, 2020. That's re- Remember, the, that's when stocks typically go down 25 to 45% before they rebound. And you don't know how quickly that's going to occur. And sometimes it's a very long, slow, painful draw to the bottom, like 2007 to 2009, March of 2009. And sometimes it's like 2020, where it's the biggest drawdown and quickest recovery of history. So history has shown us that you should be buying. If you're trying to build wealth, you should be buying during times like this. Another example is small cap value represented by VBR, Vanguard Small Cap Value ETF, is down only 10.65% versus the Russell 2000, down uh, 20.5%. But the Vanguard Growth ETF is down 27% versus the value ETF. So, so growth has gotten hammered, guys. I mean, growth, we got to the point where growth was getting super expensive and now it's trading probably 60, 70% of the way down to a really deep recession if we have one. So be aware of those buying opportunities. Really take a look at small cap indexes to see, you know, as they start to improve, that's typically when they're the first to fall, the hardest to fall, and then they're the first to turn around. So I'd always, always take a look at that. But how do we plan for situations like this? How do we get to a point where I'm fully invested? I'm five years from retirement or in retirement, and even Vanguard balanced index porf, uh, index admin portfolio. What is the symbol for that? VBIAX. Um, yeah, VBIAX. And again, none of these are recommendations. It's just to give you an idea of the overall look of the market. Um, even that portfolio, since it owns stocks, bonds, large, small, mid, um, is, is down 15%. So that's been a tough year for balanced investors. Most retirees go into porf- in, most retirees go into retirement with a balanced portfolio. And so how do we plan for situations like this? 
because you have to look at really rough scenarios. And it seems like we're, our, our recessions are farther apart, but the, the, the stock market reactions of one coming, the frequency seems to be getting shorter and, and the moves tend to be getting shorter, like the quicker to the bottom and the quicker to the top. But let's look at a really rough situation. Um, you had the market, the economy overheating by 2006 and 2007. Everything was up. Energy prices, real estate, stocks, PE ratios on stocks were starting to get very concerning in 2006 and 2007. And the stock market peaked in October of 2007. It was the first week of October. And then if you look at the stock market, the S&P 500, from October of 2007 to March 9th of 2009, stocks were down 57% from the peak. And it took from October of 2007 to the bottom of 2009 to August of 2012 before stocks broke even. So that was five years. So that tells you that if you're going into retirement, all 100% invested in stocks, you better have a five-year plan of cash or expenses to live off of if you're going to be that aggressive. But if you look at a balanced portfolio, a 60-40 portfolio, that topped out in October of 2007. It was only three years later, November 5th, 2010, when a 60-40, 60% S&P 500, 40% bonds broke even again. So that was still about a three-year period, right? So what have I been saying since 1999, even prior to the first time we had a three-year correction in a row is during our lifetime, the first time was right after the Great Depression. Always have three years worth of portfolio draws in cash as you move into retirement so that you can always be prepped and ready for an event like this. Because the market will always recover. The market will always recover. The market, I fully believe, 20 plus year periods over your retirement planning years. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass, the will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. So getting back to this, this idea of, of you know true portfolio distribution tr- tr- planning in retirement, knowing where each dollar is going to come from. You have a certain amount of income that's going to come from Social Security and dividends and interest in your taxable account, potentially rental properties and things like that. And the rest, you're going to have to sell something each and every year. And you want to avoid having to do that whenever the stock or bond market is down. And so that's why I always tell you three years worth of portfolio draws in cash, then basically what you should be doing when you're, if you are, if you are in a relationship where you have a financial advisor, the idea is that you're always expecting the best. I fully expect stocks to average 10 to 12, 10 to 11% over your lifetime. 20 plus years, that's what I expect. Now, the bond market in the next five to 10 years, that's another story. That's really, really hard to gauge. But you always expect the best, but plan for the worst. Because in retirement, it's the order of stock market returns that inflation, and healthcare costs, those are your biggest enemies. You have to have a plan for each of those. And the order of stock market returns is simple because the market is positive 70% of the time. It's negative 30% of the time. 
So what you should be doing is looking at your cash reserves. Your not your. It's not three years worth of expenses. It's three years worth of portfolio draws in cash, in cash type instruments. Something that's very safe, no risk of rising rates. And when you have your reviews with your financial advisor, it should be, hey, how much cash did you spend? Oh, okay. You you spent ten thousand dollars of your cash this last quarter. Well, hey, good good news. The portfolio is up twenty grand. And so we're going to peel off some growth. We're going to sell some stuff, whether it's stocks or bonds, and replenish your cash. Because the market's positive 70% of the time, 70% of those meetings, you're going to be doing that. But 30% of the time, it's going to be, nope, you're going to live off your cash, your dividends and interests, and your social security. Because we're going to let these share prices recover because they always do. We learned that in you know, the peak of the market from 1999, then we had three years in a row down and then things recovered. We learned that in 2007, it took until 09 to bottom out and anywhere between November of 2010 to 2012 to break even. And if you have the three years worth of portfolio draws in cash plus dividends and interest feeding that, that you can take in any down market because the dividends and interest are still paid, that money is going to typically last five to seven years. And that usually gets you through those big peak down to the bottom, back up to the recovery. You have to have that type of strategy in place in retirement. Otherwise, if you're fully invested in stocks and bonds, you're in a mathematical nightmare like 2022. If you're averaging out of a balanced portfolio, you are selling both stocks and bonds on a monthly basis when they're down. So you have less shares that are in the account for the recovery mode that will come. It will come. So you got to have a better strategy. And 60-40 portfolio is going to require some careful thought in terms of also alternatives to things like having just bonds in the portfolio. Now, getting back a little bit to the comments that I had on small and mid-cap, because you all heard me, um, if you listen to the New Focus on Wealth show and podcast, pounding the table when small cap uh, value especially fell 40 plus percent. And the returns from them in those areas have been large. And I mean, like I said before, if you look at VBK small cap growth ETF by Vanguard, it's already down 27% for the year. VBR, the small cap value is down about 11% for the year. If you look at the S&P 500 expected PE ratio, it's about uh, still about forward, about 21 times earnings, I believe. And so... I'm pulling up, uh, I use Y charts all the time. I love Y charts in terms of a system for charting and screening and things like that. And um, so when you look at the S&P 500, you've got a forecast of PE ratio or a weighted, I'm sorry, weighted average PE ratio of about 19.98 and a forecasted five-year earnings growth of 13, forecasted book value of eight, forecasted cash flow growth of 11. Um, and small cap growth, you have forecasted five-year earnings growth of, of uh, almost 17%, forecast cash flow growth of 11.5, forecasted earnings growth of almost 25 and a PE of 23.75. Now, why do those tend to fall? Why do small cap companies tend to fall really hard, really fast during times of expected recessions? It's because a smaller company is typically trying to grow. They're typically borrowing money to try to grow, buy other businesses, buy capital goods to be able to you know, increase their business and expand their business. And so that's why they fall. They're more interest rate sensitive typically. And you've got valuations, in my opinion, a little bit 
higher forecasted earnings and revenue growth and slightly higher P ratio than the S P 500 VBR. If you look at that, um, a little less on earnings growth and, but forecast earnings growth of 26 where you have a, uh, blended P ratio of 11.85. So not too bad. So just keep an eye on those areas. Um, a lot of people, most portfolios that I review of people that are coming in, interested in having EP wealth and our team manage portfolios and their financial plan, taxes, estate planning, the whole nine yards. Most of the time when I look at portfolios, it's just large cap growth overweight, which has been great the last 10 years, but it got expensive. And that's why you look at, you know, just even the NASDAQ this year and how far down the S&P 500 is down about 17% as we're doing the show right now and the NASDAQ, which is more tech heavy, more growth oriented is down 27. Mm-hmm. So when we get into a deep recessionary issue, like 2008, 2009, you can see stocks sell off to the 40% range. So we're, we're trading as if expectations, expectations of recession are going on. So keep that in mind. Um, and this is the, okay. I'm going to go to a question real quick. Cause I got to get to Jackie's question. Jackie asks, I just heard you say on the podcast that increasing bond exposure is a good idea. What are your thoughts on iShare savings bonds? And that's interesting, Jackie, because that's, that's actually not what I've been saying. What I've been saying on, the, I think the last one was, um, if you're you know, going into retirement and you already own bonds, you should definitely look at your portfolio, look at your duration, your interest rate sensitivity, make sure you have a mix of core, you know, more conservative bonds and or strategic or unconstrained bond funds, and that a lot of the damage has likely have been done already. And I've also been talking about those that are moving into retirement, or let's say you have a bunch of cash to put to work in the portfolio. I've been saying, look at some alternatives, like maybe because bonds have been beaten up and they could go lower because of rising rates, that maybe you pay down your mortgage, or maybe you pay off your mortgage as you're going into retirement, different alternatives. So I have, it's not like I've been super positive on bonds or anything. If we look at the 10-year treasury, we got to 3.12% uh, last a week, a week or two. No, it was a, I think it was May 12th or so. And now we're sitting under 2.8. And if we talk about bonds, the idea that you totally ditch bonds after the worst two-year period I've seen in 30 years, You very rarely have two years in a row when the bond market's down, but we did. We had about 2% decline in 2021 and over 9% this year so far. So if you look back at history in like 1980 and 81, the Federal Reserve was raising rates to fight inflation. It threw the economy into a recession in 82 and bonds went negative two years in a row, 80 and 81. And then 82, I think the return was like 32%. Now, granted, bonds were paying a lot more back then you know, more in the six to 10% range. So you got to back that the reality that bonds are still paying way less than they were back then. But uh, just, just keep that in mind. It's, it's, you got to take a close look at your bond portfolio of what you still own. Um, if you have a 401k and you're like, I want to, I need to add bonds into my portfolio, but I'm scared of interest rates continue to increase. You can always hide out in a stable value fund, for example. Stable value funds are yielding just about as much as many conservative or shorter term bond funds, but there's not going to be the price decline 
issue in your stable value fund. And then she asked, Jackie asked about what are my thoughts on iShare savings bonds? So there's a ton of different ETFs. So iShares has a ton of different ETFs and, and different bond ETFs anywhere from short term to long term to uh, like TIP, which is a treasury inflation protected bonds. And even those are down. Everybody was like, oh, you should go buy tips earlier in the year because everybody expected higher inflation, but they also, they already got it. People piled into that the year before. So even TIP, which is an ETF that owns inflation protected bonds, the face value adjustment when inflation is up, those are even down a little over six and a, a little over 6% this year. So when you look at your overall bond portfolio, so typically you're you know starting 50 on to 65, you're, you want to start building a balanced portfolio by the time you retire. You have your core bonds, which are your more conservative corporate and government bonds. And then you have strategic income funds, which a manager like a Guggenheim or somebody else can say, okay, there's a lot of good stuff shaping up in the bond market. I got a lot of opportunities in different areas. All right. So talking a little bit more about bonds and people take a look at the 10-year treasury to see what the rates are doing. That affects a lot of different things, whether it's a you know, the five and the 10 year gauge for what 30 year mortgages are doing back on May 6th actually is when we got to a 3.12% yield on the 10 year treasury as of today, May 20th, we're looking at 2.88. So yields have already backed up and bonds went up as the market started to capitulate and you had a lot of selling this week. Now in hindsight, who knows, maybe that's the recent high in this uh, rate increase situation. If we do go into a recession, um, to take a look at bonds and what the overall risk is in your portfolio, um, you need to know what, what modified duration means. Modified duration measures the price change in a bond given a 1% change in interest rates. And it's not perfect if, if you look at um, this on bond funds, but it gives you a basic idea if you have, you know, if you go to morningstar.com, for example. BND is the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index. Uh, currently, it's got a, a 3.12% yield. And it, right now, these duration numbers for these, some of these funds are blanked out. There's a, a, a line through them. But the effective duration of the category is a bit over 6%. So if you have, right now, the 10-year treasury is at 2.88%. If it goes up to 3.88%, theoretically, you could see that 6% decline in value. And if you look at what bonds have done for the year, when the 10-year treasury as December 31st, 2021 was 1.52 and the bond and the 10-year treasury right now is 2.88 and bonds funds are down 9% or so. Um, it's been a bit more than a 1% move. So it's been a bit more than a 6% decline, if that makes sense. So you can look at your duration of your bond funds and the credit quality to see where your risk is and if there's any changes that you need to make. So keep that in mind. hope that makes sense, but it is an area that you do have to take a look at because if I give examples of, of any time the market's had two years in a row decline in the bond market, typically there's a year coming up that is a really, really good year for bonds. So it's not like you want to ditch all your bonds the question is for most people that are, let's say, 50 and on up, and let's say you get a bunch of stock options that you that vested and sold, 
or a liquidity event, or you inherited some cash from your you know, deceased uncle or aunt or parents, and you got to put that money to work, that's when you're like, okay, do I, do I go all in? Do I average in? Do I buy bonds? Do I pay off some debt? That's when it becomes a little bit more difficult and it's situational financial planning. What's right for you? What's your risk tolerance? What's your time horizon? And all those different things. It's not the right answer for everybody. So that's why I love financial planning. It always keeps, it, it, everybody's very different and all the problems and solutions are different. One big problem that you're starting to see that I'm dealing with on wealthy families is that big jump in mortgage rates. And so a lot of times people, especially in the Bay Area where home housing is still so expensive and rents are off the charts, uh, people are worried that, oh my gosh, we're still seeing some prices go up, yet interest rates have gone up. So now it's even more expensive to get into that house. How's my kid ever going to want to stay here? And a lot of people that are retired and, and, and wealthier and their kids are here, they're afraid their kids are going to leave the Bay Area or leave expensive areas and go elsewhere. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're going to be farther away from their kids and their grandkids. So how do you help a kid buy a house? Running out of time on this, on the show today to really get into it too much, I was going to do a whole segment on it. But there's one website that's very helpful in giving ideas for this that I've referred to in the past. It's called National Family Mortgage. You can actually give a loan to a kid and you know you be the bank and record everything properly. You charge them a rate of interest that is correct. You got to use the AFR rate, applicable federal rate. And you can look up the AFR rates. It's actually pretty low. So you can charge a really low interest rate, much lower than a 30-year mortgage, but it's got to be a, a qualifying rate so that it actually qualifies for a loan and not a gift. Uh, you know, give them a mortgage and do all the paperwork properly through a company like National Family Mortgage. You can do outright gifts, but remember, as a married couple to another married couple, if you want to give, if a, if a couple wants to give money to, let's say, their daughter and the husband, you can each give sixteen thousand dollars to, you know, each of those people. So the total that you can give is $64,000 without filing a gift tax return. Anything above that, there's no taxes due. You just have to kind of keep a ledger that says, okay, I'm, I'm giving away some of the amount that the IRS allows me to give when I die without paying estate taxes. So you can do an outright gift. You can do an outright loan, like I mentioned, through something like National Family Mortgage or an attorney. Um, you can also create trusts that might own the home and then... Uh, you can either do it as gifting or allowing the kid to make a loan from the trust. You can joint purchase the home, but uh, that's kind of scary, right? Then you're on the hook for credit and divorces and lawsuits and everything else. Or you can just own the home where your kid lives and charge them a decent rent, right? There's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, but to be aware, you can't just gift or buy it and then expect that you're kid's going to be able to write off the interest rate and you're going to claim the interest as income if you don't do things properly, if you don't record it properly and work with an attorney. And now is a good time for people to reassess how much do they have to give? How much is left for them in their retirement? After a market decline, you might be resetting your expectations on your portfolio and small adjustments to expenses to get through this rough time in the market. It will go away. This too shall pass. 
stock market's going to take good care of us all over time. Just don't make mistakes when the market's down like that. Still panic buy or panic sell. Maintain an even approach to it. Stick with strategy. And it always comes back. Thanks for listening. You can find me at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. If you need help with financial planning, investment management, state planning, taxes, we do it all. Just go to chadburton.com. Have a great day, everyone. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.